Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about why ankle dorsiflexion is so important. And trust me, I could talk all day about this. I'm very passionate about patients obtaining adequate dorsiflexion. And it just seems like there are so many people that have loss of dorsiflexion with associated foot, ankle, and knee problems. And we know the statistics show that um, there's a high incidence of foot and ankle problems due to a tight calf and loss of ankle dorsiflexion. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the biomechanics of the foot and ankle. We'll talk about some of the diagnoses, uh, some of the problems that are caused by loss of dorsiflexion. And we'll talk about max maximizing dorsiflexion and how that can increase function and increase performance. But before we get started today, I would like to take a second just to make an announcement. And I'm just like giggling inside right now. I'm so excited about this because I've been working really hard on this. But OrthoEvalPal has a new website. And I have had so many people ask me for a place to go from the podcasting, from the YouTube station uh, and channel. Uh, And so we now have OrthoEvalPal, the website. And And, um, you know, on this website, we are going to have online coaching. We're going to have merchandise, OEP merchandise. Um, We're going to have some real detailed webinars that you can download and watch at your own convenience so that you can take some of what we've been doing with our podcast and some of our videos on YouTube piece it together and and see how, how I like to teach uh, some of these activities and uh, put all this information together. So um, that is going to be really exciting. So make sure you check us out at www.orthoevalpal.com and please go there, take a look at it, criticize the website, um, send me uh, an email, let me know what you like, what you don't like about it, okay? Because really, I want to make these changes early on so that it is uh, convenient for you. I want you to be able to navigate the site well and find what you want to find because really OEP is all about making you feel more comfortable with orthopedic evaluations and um, getting some answers to some of your questions. So um, please check us out and um, leave a comment uh, in our um, in our email and, and those links are on the website also. Um, but before we get started on our show today, I'd like to just stop, take a moment and uh, hear a few words from our sponsor. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech all-terrain chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit EasyGliderSocks.com. That's EasyGliderSocks.com. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. 
Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So let's get right into this. We're going to talk a little bit about the lack of dorsiflexion um, and why it causes so many problems. And I'm going to give you some examples today so that you can kind of, in your head, piece this together. And like I said, I'm going to give you a few snippets today, but we can have more conversations about other diagnoses that are caused by a lack of dorsiflexion. So let's just talk a little bit about the biomechanics of the foot, how it functions. You know, we know that the foot and ankle is super dynamic, it plantar flexes, it dorsiflexes, it inverts, it everts, it supinates, it pronates, it does a lot. It takes up a lot of impact. You know, think about this. If you weigh 150 pounds and um, every step you take is two times your body weight on that foot and the average between males and females is 3,000 steps a day, um, I do way more than that. Uh, In the summers, I'm doing 10 miles a day and, um, you know, in the winter, walking in the clinic, I do probably three to four miles a day in the clinic that I work in. Uh, I'm a fast walker. I walk a lot. So if you're 150 pounds um, times two, okay, that's like 300 pounds of pressure. And then the average 6,000 steps. So if you break that up, 3,000 steps per foot, that's 900,000 pounds of pressure in one day. That's 450 tons on one foot. That's if you only weigh 150 pounds. That's if you only walk 6,000 steps a day. So the foot takes a beating. And so when you don't have adequate dorsiflexion, that could be a significant contributor where there's an excessive amount of force distributed throughout the foot and ankle. Um, So... Let's talk a little bit about what happens when the foot and ankle dorsiflexes, okay? So if you think about it, the talocrural joint, so the talus and the the tib-fib joint, when they come together and you dorsiflex, they become approximated. They They lock themselves in and give the ankle some stability. So think about this. If you've ever seen a patient who has sprained their ankle, had an inversion ankle sprain, they almost always sprain in a somewhat plantar flexed position. Rarely does anybody ever sprain their ankle in a dorsi while they're in dorsiflexion because that talocrural joint is locked up. Okay. So that's why it's so important after ankle sprains to start to obtain that good dorsiflexion that adequate dorsiflexion so that the ankle can have a bony mechanical locking mechanism so that the ligaments and and muscles and tendons don't have to work so hard, okay? So that's one thing you need to, to remember. You also need to remember that when you go into dorsiflexion, the calf starts to tighten up a little bit, okay? And it becomes loaded. We start to store some energy in that calf, and that's important. The, the posterior tibialis, the peroneus longus, the flexor halysis longus, the flexor digitorum, all of these muscles become elongated as the foot goes into dorsiflexion. So what does this mean? I'm going to give you a few examples here of why you need dorsiflexion, okay? Simple examples like squatting, okay? So, um, you know, you drop your keys on the floor and you squat down to pick them up. You obviously need dorsiflexion to be able to do that. Let's say you are a CrossFitter uh, or you uh, exercise in a gym. You like to do a lot of deadlifting um, and, you know, getting down to pick up those weights and to lift uh, aggressively. You need to be able to dorsiflex the foot and ankle uh, really, really well in order to get your knees and hips into a good position. All right. Let's say you're walking uphill. You need more dorsiflexion um, while you're going up, and uh, that just makes sense, correct? So if you don't have that, then 
what does it cause? Why? What does a lack of dorsiflexion cause? Well, it causes a lot, and it causes a lot of stress to your body. So think about walking on a flat surface. And when I tell people to observe gait or think about gait, don't look at the foot, look at the ankle, look at the knee, look at the hip, look at the back, look at the arm swing. You can't do that all at one time. So I have people walking a lot. Um, I watch one foot. I might watch the next foot. Then I'll watch the knee. Then I'll watch the hip. I'll watch their arm swing, but I'll have them walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So I can really isolate each one. It's a little bit easier to break down. So just imagine walking on a level surface and you are the 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 person that you're watching is in mid stance going to terminal stance phase of gait okay so the leg is in the middle then going behind them um the body weight starts to load the foot while the calf is limiting dorsiflexion. So the arch naturally wants to collapse. It doesn't matter if you have a high arch or a low arch, it's going to want to start to collapse just because of all of the weight and pressure on it. Okay. And so when that, when that arch is collapsing, the plantar fascia is pulling on it. The, the calf is tightening on the retrocalcaneal um, spur and it's pulling up in the other direction. So it's basically fighting itself. Um, and so at this point, the calf is starting to, to store some energy ready for propulsion, okay? But a bad balance of, of tightness and loss of motion can become a real problem. So if you have a tight calf and you can't dorsiflex very well, let's say you can't dorsiflex past zero degrees in full knee extension while you're walking. So... In order to compensate for that, you're going to start to go up on your metatarsals a little bit sooner. The heels are going to come up faster. And then you're going to end up having more of a bouncing type of gait if you keep your feet straight. Well, your brain doesn't like that. It likes the body to be level. It likes it to be efficient. And, and so in order to be able to get out of that bounce, a lot of people, and I see this a lot, okay, will start to externally rotate the hips and start to toe out a little bit. And when you do that, you don't need to dorsiflex the ankle as much. So what ends up happening, though, is the medial arch starts to collapse, and then you start to toe off on the medial side of the first distal metatarsal. Okay, and then you toe off on the end of the big toe on the medial side. That's why some of these people have such hallux valgus and callusing to the medial side of the great toe because they're pushing off and causing shear. Okay, so just looking at their toes can tell you a little bit about how tight they are in the calves. And it's very common. There's a very common association between the two. Okay, so think about it now. You're overloading this medial arch like we talked about. The medial arch collapses. The posterior tibialis has to work harder eccentrically. The anterior tibialis has to work harder eccentrically to support that arch. The calcaneus um, drops into valgus. And now you're straining the soleus even more. And so think about those three. The posterior tibialis, anterior tibialis, and the soleus all working hard eccentrically. So... Does this, like if you're thinking about this, think about these three muscle groups as being the bigger contributors to shin splints, medial tibial stress syndrome, stress fractures, those types of things. So if we can take a load off of that eccentric um, contraction, that overuse with runners and skiers and and people who are, are on their feet and loading, 
with these um, with a tight calf, you can see where these could develop some issues. So anybody with a shin splint um, is put on a flexibility program when I see them. I also try to get that calcaneus in a neutral position, and I try to prevent that foot from collapsing so much. The next thing I'll do with these people is I'll have them do a functional squat. So I have them stand in front of me, and I don't tell them where to put their feet. And it's interesting because the people with tight calves will spread their legs out automatically and externally rotate the legs before they squat to compensate so that they can squat better. Um, but then when I tell them to bring their feet in a neutral position underneath the shoulders, underneath the hips, and keep the feet straight and have them squat, the knees collapse in into valgus significantly. All right. So what happens is your hip external rotators and abductors have to work harder. You have an increased Q angle at the knee. Um, and this is not very efficient. This puts people at high risk of ACL tears with landing uh, deceleration, changing of direction. And so you can see where I'm going with this. It changes the mechanics of the foot and ankle so significantly that it can just really go up the chain. Um, let's talk a little bit about the forefoot. Now, if your calf is tight or you have some sort of a joint restriction causing a loss of dorsiflexion, when you are going to heel strike, you put your body weight over the top of your foot and then your heel starts to come up and off. That will start to happen early if you have a tight calf or loss of ankle range of motion. So that, therefore, what that means is you're going to be putting a lot more pressure on the forefoot, on the metatarsals. Um, I see this often. Um, people come in for orthotics for metatarsalgia or Morton's neuroma. I do impressions of their feet. I put them on a calf stretching program. I send them home with an easy slant and they stretch three times a day for two weeks. When they come back and pick up their orthotics, they're significantly improved in the forefoot because they are not distributing so much force for such a long period of time so repetitively. Remember how often I said we put weight on the foot and how much pressure it puts on it? Well, the forefoot is not great at dissipating a lot of force. Um, and when that starts to break down, you start to put too much pressure on the forefoot. causes all kinds of problems. Um, so remember that when you see your forefoot patients, okay, your forefoot problems, um, just stretching the calf can be very beneficial along with other interventions that you might have. Let's get into this here. And this has been a very big frustration for me. And this is probably because I am not good with diabetes. Um, I understand it a little bit, but not as, much, not as well as I should. But I see these patients who have diabetic forefoot ulcers. And the first thing that happens is um, they receive all kinds of treatment to offload the forefoot and take pressure off of the ulcer. All right. And then if that doesn't work, I see Achilles um, releases or I see procedures to help lengthen the Achilles, lengthen the calf um, and to to take pressure off of the forefoot. But none of these people and I'm telling you, none of them have ever been placed on flexibility programs. Um, and I just don't understand why we are not doing that preventatively with these people, they stiffen up, okay? They're definitely going to get some uh, increased collagen formation and they get stiffer, they get tighter. And we know this happens to their tendons um, and joints. And so why don't we put them on gastroxoleus stretching um, and improve their flexibility so they're not distributing so much pressure onto the forefoot? So please, I'd love to get people's feedback on this um, because it's been a frustration of mine. 
I've been placing people with uh, diabetes on uh, stretching programs and um, been having really good success with it. A lot less forefoot breakdown, a lot less forefoot ulcers. Um, And so I'd really like to see this go somewhere. And I'd love to, if anybody has research, I'd love to see it. Um, That would be so helpful. Um, And then I'd probably present on it if uh, if anybody shot it out to us. So, um, so. With that being said, whew, there's a lot of information there. With that being said, um, you know, what is the best way to stretch? I've put a couple of videos up on YouTube about what I absolutely, absolutely dislike about certain types of calf stretches and how I like to stretch. Okay. Number one, um, let's talk about the no-nos. Do not have your patient stretch off of a step while bearing all of their weight on their forefoot and straining the intrinsic muscles of the foot so that the foot doesn't slip off the step, which means they're working hard. Um, It's less stable. It requires a lot of balance uh, for some folks and just not an appropriate uh, activity, in my opinion, unless you are a totally healthy individual. Um, I had a young lady who had a um, Morton's neuroma resection. She was told by her uh, provider um, to... um, do calf stretches because she was a little tight in the calf and stand off the edge of a step. Well, when she came in to start therapy, um, it had totally, totally aggravated her surgical site. Um, her forefoot was thicker than her calf and, um, she also strained her Achilles at the same time. So she was really incapacitated. We had to start back from zero and it took a long time to get better. So do not hang off of a stair. Um, that's, that's my opinion. Only a lot of people still do it. Um, the runner stretch, a lot of people do the runner stretch. I've seen people do the runner stretch for plantar fasciitis for a year. And then they come into therapy. We start them on slant board stretches, um, or they're waiting for an orthotic and we have them do slant board stretches. And all of a sudden they're significantly better try it sometime try a runner stretch for your right calf and then jump on a slant board and do a slant board stretch and see which one you feel is more um, effective in regards to a good calf stretch now why do I like slant boards so much? It's not because I developed one um, and I have one out on the market um, it's because of frustration over the many years I've seen thousands of uh, foot and ankle problems and it always comes back to the same thing how can I make my patient comfortable while getting the stretch that they need? Okay. And almost 99% of my plantar fasciitis patients who get on a slant board don't have plantar fascia pain when they do it. They get a nice stretch in their calf and that's what I'm looking for. You're distributing your your pressure through the whole foot, not just the forefoot, not just the heel, uh, but it's well distributed. You're more upright. So the downward pressure of your body weight helps you get a more effective stretch. Your hands are on the wall so you can really control that better. So it's a nice gentle stretch and then you can increase that as you need to. Um, Adjustable slant boards are nice because as you get better, you can start to increase um, that flexibility a little bit better. And then along with all of this, you know, it's not just about stretching the calf. You can do contract relax techniques. You can do um, foam rolling. You can do soft tissue work, Graston, all these other um, adjunctive therapies that you can do dry needling. I've seen people have dry needling and do really well with that to help improve the gastroxoleus mobility. So utilize all the tools in your toolbox to get better dorsiflexion. Okay. But I think today you'll understand a little bit better why it is so important to obtain better dorsiflexion um, and and which ways are, are better to stretch. So, um, Folks, I hope uh, you got a lot out of this um, this um, 
podcast today. I know it's a lot of information. Um, send me some questions and we can talk about other problems that are flared up. I mean, we, we know that patellofemoral problems, patella tendonitis, tendonitis, tendinopathy can be caused by um, a tight calf. We know that there's a higher incidence of ACL. I had seen a, a research uh, at one point on ACLs um, and, and tearing your ACL uh, and being at high risk because you have uh, a tight calf or loss of dorsiflexion, um, it causes all kinds of issues. So send me any questions to uh, paul at orthoevalpal.com. Make sure you check out our website at orthoevalpal.com. Um, go to our YouTube channel. I have new videos coming up every week and excited to do those. And uh, we're, we've started some online coaching and that's filling up quickly. So make sure if you want a spot, you jump on the website and get it. And um, folks, again, I'm so excited about doing all of this and uh, I hope you enjoy the content and I hope you all have a great day. Until uh, next time, uh, have a good one. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, Go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see.